Hey there, I'm Melanie Reed, and this is The HR Mentor. I am very honored and grateful to be coming to you today from the unceded traditional territories of the Tecumloops Tishikwetmik people, and I want to express my deep gratitude that I'm able to live, work, and play on these beautiful lands. Most people would prefer to avoid office politics, especially early in their career. Unfortunately, they are an inevitable part of working in organizations. It doesn't mean you will always experience it firsthand, but learning how to navigate messy situations in the office with other people when you're getting started in an HR role can be very helpful to your career trajectory. Office politics are most often about someone trying to get or keep power or to gain some kind of benefit in the organization. Office politics often involves struggles for power and interpersonal conflicts, alliances, backstabbing, a whole bunch of nasty stuff. It might even manifest itself as gossip. I know, it sounds really awful. And what's worse is that Getting involved in these types of activities in the workplace can really affect your career prospects. It can also affect your relationships with your colleagues and your managers, which early in your career is when you really want to be building those up. The other downside to getting involved in office politics or even being on the receiving end of some of this is that it can dramatically affect your overall well-being at work. And we all know that that can affect our personal lives. So it's important that you learn early on how to kind of navigate some of these situations. Because as I said already, they're sort of an inevitable part of putting people in organizations and giving them a bunch of stressful things to tackle together. Why do we experience office politics? Well, you're more often going to see this, or it will be more common, when you're in a situation where there are limited resources. For example, maybe there's a scarcity of money to pursue projects. Or maybe it's a scarcity of attention or recognition being divvied up amongst employees. You might also experience it when there are competing interests. So two people want different things in an organization. And of course, just Different personalities can cause office politics to kind of bubble to the surface. It might even stem from somebody being afraid of losing their job, and it causes them to act out in a negative way. Now, as a new graduate or an early career professional, you might feel really overwhelmed or intimidated by the political dynamics in your workplace. And at first, you might not even see that they exist. I know I always come into workplaces with this idea that most people mean well, something that I still think is true even after all my years in organizations. And perhaps naively, I also believe that, generally speaking, everyone has everyone's best interests at heart. This perspective that I've adopted really aligns with my values, and to be honest, it supports my well-being. So before we get into how to navigate this or mitigate it, I think it's important that if your general belief is that people mean well and have other people's best interests in heart, don't suddenly flip a switch and start assuming the worst in everybody. 
the worst thing that can come out of any office politics tangle is for you to come out of it feeling completely jaded about people in general or organizations in general. You have a really long career ahead of you and I know you're going to be much happier and more successful if you navigate through it with a more positive perspective on things. So don't give up on what some people might call your naive perspective of things. I think you should embrace it. However, you may still encounter some conflicts or politics. And if you do, you may wonder how to handle these situations when you're early in your career, which is a more vulnerable time than somebody who's maybe more established. You might wonder, should you just avoid them altogether? Or maybe you should join in and become part of the party. Or maybe you should just find ways to fight against it. You're probably wondering, how do you protect yourself from becoming a victim of office politics? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to share some very basic tips and strategies on how you can deal with office politics in a positive and professional way. I'll also give you an example of a potential early career office politics scenario and how you can handle it effectively. There is a lot to unpack here, so let's get started. Welcome to the HR Mentor Podcast, the podcast for emerging HR practitioners to get practical advice, tools, and strategies to build credibility, confidence, and ultimately a fulfilling HR career. Okay, before we dive into my tips and strategies, let's first clarify what I mean by positive and professional office politics. Positive politics are behaviors that are designed to influence others with the goal of helping both the organization and the person who's playing the politics. Some examples of positive politics might be portraying a professional image, publicizing your accomplishments like posting them on LinkedIn, volunteering for challenging projects, building a network of supporters, and offering compliments or recognition for others. Positive politics can help you advance your career, can help you gain recognition and earn trust, and it can also put you in or on the path for some win-win kind of situations or solutions. Now, conversely, negative politics are behaviors that are designed to achieve personal gain at the expense of others and the organization. Some examples of negative politics types of behaviors might be spreading rumors, which are never necessary in an organization, talking behind someone's back, withholding important information, maybe sabotaging someone's work, trying to make it look like they didn't do something they were supposed to do, or maybe intervening in a project to make it not work out the way it's supposed to, taking credit for somebody else's work, and of course, blaming other people for your mistakes, not taking ownership for your own mistakes or not being accountable for your own work. Now, engaging in negative politics can be really harmful to your reputation. First of all, it's going to damage your relationships, and that is definitely not something you want to be doing ever in your career, but especially early on. It could also create conflicts with coworkers or organizational leaders, 
And of course, it's not going to make you feel good to engage in these behaviors. It's probably going to lower your morale and perhaps the morale and sort of the level of engagement within your department. Because even though we might be engaging in these behaviors as an individual, we're operating in an organization where we're interacting with other people. So what we do does affect them. In a sense, it's all kind of connected. We're all connected in a workplace. I would encourage you to engage in positive politics as you feel comfortable. I think portraying a professional image, building your network, volunteering for challenging projects, these are all important things to do early in your career and throughout your career in order to be successful. But the negative politics stuff, I would stay away from all of that because it doesn't contribute to anything positive happening in the workplace. So let's talk about how you can kind of mitigate or handle office politics and reduce the chances of experiencing this when you're early in your career. So the first thing I suggest you do is you take a bit of time to just become aware of the political landscape. I know it would be nice to just bury your head in the sand and pretend these things don't happen and that there is no politics in organizations, but I'm here to tell you, sorry, that's just not true. So you might as well try and understand what's going on. Look around your workplace, observe your workplace, and maybe ask yourself a few of these questions. One of the first things to ask yourself or to observe or maybe take note of is who are kind of the key people in the organization? And when I say key people, who are the people that make decisions? Who are the people that influence other people? Because even though someone might not be a decision maker, if they influence a decision maker, then they have a certain amount of power in the organization leads me to the next question. Who has the most power and influence? When you're looking at those individuals, ask yourself who are their allies and potential enemies or people that would resist them? This is where you might see some types of conflict or politics that you might want to stand clear of. For example, if you recognize that somebody powerful in your department has perhaps somebody who is Enemy is such a strong word, but someone who doesn't agree with them or isn't aligned with their interests in another or department and they're trying to get information out of you or they're trying to convince you that that powerful, influential person is not a good person or not doing something right. If you know that, you're going to want to stay away from that conversation. Observe people, take a bit of time to try and understand who the key players are and where the power and influence is. It's probably going to take you a little bit of time to figure some of this out, but that's okay. You've got time. The other thing you want to figure out here is what are the unwritten rules and norms? So every organization has policies, procedures, rules, etc. You probably already know what those are and you're probably helping to administer them in your HR role. But what are the unwritten rules and norms? This might have to do with relationships. It might have to do with how people socialize. And it's these sort of unwritten rules and norms that create culture. But it also can create alliances. And sometimes that's where we can see politics play out. You might also want to think about what are the sources of conflict and competition in the organization. 
Are there budgeting processes that create competition? Is there, you know, um, a leader in the organization that has a lot of direct reports and so people compete for face time and feedback and recognition? Try and figure out where you might see pockets of that in the organization. Now, once you're aware of the political landscape, that will probably help you avoid getting sort of engaged in any kind of office politics. But the other thing, so the next thing that I recommend you do from the start is to really focus on being respectful and courteous to everybody, regardless of their position or role. Don't just be nice to the powerful, influential people in the organization. That in and of itself is a form of politics that's sort of bordering on positive to negative politics. When I'm talking about respect, I mean, acknowledge people's opinions, their feelings and their contributions. Really observe what people do well, how they're feeling about things and acknowledge them. Doesn't mean you have to agree with everything they're feeling or their perspective, but acknowledging them as a sign of respect. Being courteous means you're being polite and friendly and helpful. And you can show respect and courtesy by doing simple things like greeting people in a warm and friendly way, learning their names and then using their names, learning how to pronounce their name properly. That's a huge thing that sometimes we overlook, but names are important. It's also really good to listen attentively to other people. So if somebody's telling you something, don't be drawn to your phone or checking your emails. That is very disrespectful and you're probably not learning anything from them by doing that. It's also really good to do simple things like say thank you, apologize when you have to, and offer assistance when it's possible for you to provide it. These are things that our parents taught us when we were kids, but they apply in the workplace and they go a long way. Another thing you can do to show respect and courtesy is to show a genuine interest in who people are, what their journey has been to get where they are, and what they're passionate about or interested in. Most people love to talk about their work and their own career path. Asking them questions about it and showing a genuine interest in it is a really good way to show respect and courtesy. It's also a helpful way to build relationships, which are so critical in an HR career. By being respectful and courteous, it's going to help you build rapport, trust, and goodwill with your colleagues and managers, and it's probably going to help keep you out of some of those politicking kind of scenarios, especially the negative ones. My third suggestion is to be assertive, but avoid being aggressive. This is always a tricky one for folks. You need to stand up for yourself, but you don't want to do this at the cost of others or on the backs of other people. When you're being assertive, this means you're expressing your thoughts, feelings, and needs in a clear, confident, and respectful way. Aggressiveness means you're imposing your thoughts, feelings, and needs on others in a rude, hostile, or threatening kind of way. So you can be assertive but not aggressive. And one of the best ways to do this is when you're communicating with other people, try and use I statements. For example, you might say, I think this, I feel this, or I need this. 
instead of using you statements like you should, you must, or you are. It takes all of the judgment out of it when you put it back on you. And it also shows you're taking responsibility for what it is you need, which is a sign of being assertive. You can also use positive language such as I appreciate, I agree, or I suggest instead of using negative terminology like I hate this, I disagree with this, or I demand that this happen. When you're being assertive but not aggressive, it can really help protect your rights and interests, can help you create boundaries and communicate effectively without disrespecting others and also without drawing them unnecessarily into conflict with you, which is a form of politics. So the words you choose and the way you express what you need and maybe even your discontent with something can go a long way to avoiding politics and conflict. The fourth suggestion I have is that you choose honesty and ethical behavior at all times. And this is really about showing up with integrity. Even if integrity isn't one of your core values, it is a professional practice that is essential to your success. I think most people know what I mean when I say honesty, but this is really about telling the truth. It's also about keeping your promises and admitting when you make mistakes or you do something wrong. We're all human. We all do things wrong from time to time or make mistakes, but owning up to them is part of being somebody acting with integrity, okay, and being honest. Being ethical means following the rules, values, and standards of your organization and profession. You can be honest and ethical by being transparent about your actions and intentions, not doing things kind of secretively. You can also demonstrate this by giving credit where it's due. So if somebody did something to help you, give them credit for it. It's also important to respect confidentiality and privacy, especially in an HR role. That is so critical to your success. And of course, you want to avoid any kind of behavior that could harm you or, or anyone else. Being honest and ethical can help you establish credibility, can help build your reputation, and encourage people to respect you in your workplace. Also, don't forget that as HR professionals, we have a code of ethics in most places, certainly in the United States and Canada, that are part of our professional associations. And these codes of ethics compel us to act in an ethical manner and in an honest and transparent manner. Not only is it a good idea to help avoid politics, but it's also a requirement of your profession. Okay, the fifth suggestion I have is to be proactive and positive. This is incredibly important, especially earlier in your career when you're working on making positive impressions and building trust and connections with leaders. It's always a good idea to take initiative and show enthusiasm. Being proactive means seeking opportunities to learn, grow, and contribute in your organization. So putting your hand up to try something new if you have time and capacity is a great way to show your desire to learn more. And that's going to help people see you in a positive light. Positivity means 
that you're having an optimistic and constructive attitude. So the way you go about doing things is more optimistic and more focused on finding solutions to things as opposed to just saying, well, this isn't working and throwing your hands up. So some of the ways you can demonstrate these traits is by setting goals for yourself and then, of course, knocking them out of the park, seeking feedback and guidance from others, okay, especially people that supervise you, and, of course, taking on challenges and, and additional responsibilities if you can. Another thing that I think sometimes people overlook, especially early on in the career, is that it's also good to try and find solutions to your problems or challenges first. So before asking somebody else for help, asking questions is good and it's important, but constantly asking when you could probably have figured it out can make other people doubt your abilities. So trying to solve your own problems and then demonstrating that you're able to do that is a really good way to Put yourself forward in a positive light. Again, positive politics. Another way to be proactive and positive is to support your colleagues and managers and offering to help whenever you can. People are always less inclined to behave negatively or to gossip about or start rumors about people if they're seen as positive and helpful. So this can also help you achieve your potential. It can help you demonstrate your value and it can make a positive impact in your workplace. So again, that going back to that whole, we're all connected in the workplace. So if you're behaving in a positive and proactive way and that's demonstrated to other people, well, that might rub off on others and they might start to act in a more proactive, positive way. If somebody's really negative and they see you not joining into that conversation, they might give up on their negative perspective, okay? So there are opportunities there to use this approach to help even improve the workplace. Those are some ways that you can mitigate or prevent office politics when you're early in your career. But let's look at a specific example of a situation that might come up at this stage of your work life. Let's say you are a new HR assistant in a large company. You've been assigned to work on a project with two other HR assistants who have been working there for a few years. They're both friendly and helpful to you at first, but soon you notice that they are excluding you from important meetings and discussions. You notice that they're taking credit for work you've done, and on a few occasions they're giving you false or incomplete information. Now you suspect that they might be threatened by your presence and your skills and they're trying to sabotage your performance and reputation. How would you handle this situation? I'm going to give you a quick second to think about it. Well, quitting isn't an option, so put that one out of your head. And neither are office pranks as much as you might want to do that. So here are some more helpful and positive steps that you could take. First thing I suggest you do is to try not to take it personally. I know this is super hard. It feels pretty personal. But recognize that their behavior is not really about you, but it's about them. They're feeling insecure about their own abilities and their status in the organization, and they're just projecting their fears and frustrations onto you. 
So don't let their actions affect your self-esteem or confidence. And most importantly, try not to act emotionally or defensively. And of course, you definitely don't want to be stooping to their level or retaliating in any way. Yes, go put their lunch back in the fridge. We're not going to do that. We're going to try and do this in a more constructive way. The second thing I think it's important to do is to document everything. Keep a record of everything that happens between you and them. Write down the dates, times, places, people involved, and exactly what sort of transpired. And if you received any feedback from them in interactions, make sure you, you note that somewhere. You're going to want to save any emails, messages, documents, or any kind of evidence that sort of supports your perspective on this. Documenting everything can help you have a really clear and factual account of what happened. It's going to serve two purposes. Number one, it's going to provide proof of your work and your performance, but it's also going to help you in the next step when we talk about confronting them calmly. Now, you may never need this documentation to back up any sort of claims or complaints you have, but it is nice to have. And I think especially if we're feeling a little bit hurt and we're maybe a little bit emotional about something, we tend to not remember objective details. And that's really important to step three, which is to confront them calmly. I want you to try and talk to them directly and respectfully. Choose a private and neutral place to have the conversation. Maybe invite them to go for coffee or for a walk. And start by expressing your appreciation for their work and the experience that they've provided you and any sort of help that they may have offered. And then I want you to state the facts and examples of your behavior that you've observed and documented. Okay, so be really clear on that. I said the facts and examples of their behavior. So these are things that they have actually done and that you have witnessed or been on the receiving end of. And as you explain it to them, I want you to explain how their behavior has affected you and the project that you're working on. Here's what you've witnessed or experienced and here's how it affects you, how it makes you feel, how it affects the project, your collective ability to get the work done. And then ask them to explain their perspective and motives with you. And then just be quiet and let them talk. Remember those I statements I talked about? Use those when you're crafting this conversation. I noticed that when I do X, you do Y. I'm sharing this with you because it makes me feel like you don't trust my ability to get this job done. I'm wondering if you can explain why you're taking this approach with me and to hear your side of this. And then listen. Listen really carefully to what they have to say. Now, don't accept any excuses or lies, but don't get emotional. Most importantly, you want to express your expectations and boundaries for future interactions. Be really clear that you expect cooperation and collaboration in a professional manner, that this is what you're willing to offer and that's what you expect in return. This is a really clear example of being assertive rather than aggressive. And you're being factual. 
If you stick to the facts, it's really hard for anyone to argue with you about it because it is the facts. You were there, you saw it, you experienced it. It's also a way to demonstrate your confidence and your maturity. If your coworkers are less mature, your show of strength and professionalism will usually be enough to have them back off. Confronting them calmly can help you address the issue head on, clear up any misunderstandings, and really set the tone for a positive working relationship going forward. They might not respond well to your maturity and confidence, and if they don't, then you're going to move on to step four, which is to escalate if necessary. If the behavior continues or gets worse, you might have to involve your manager or HR department. Explain the situation to them in a factual and objective way. Show them the evidence that you've collected and documented. Talk to them about the conversation you had with them and ask them for their advice and support. You want to follow whatever their instructions and recommendations are. And if you have to escalate it further to help protect yourself, then you need to do that. Hopefully by confronting them directly and doing it in a mature and factual way, it will be resolved. But if not, your manager or someone else in the HR department should be able to help you navigate this. If they're not able to help or you're feeling worried about that, you might want to consult somebody from outside the organization to give you some advice. But eventually, if it doesn't change, you will have to escalate it within the organization. Okay, and if you followed these steps and you've been respectful and you've documented everything, then it will hopefully get resolved fairly quickly. Of course, this is just one example of a situation you might face and how you can handle it when you're early in your career. There are lots of other scenarios and situations you may encounter, and they might require a slightly different approach and strategy. But the thing is, go back to my initial suggestions. Be aware of what's happening out there and even just doing that one thing will probably help you avoid quite a bit of trouble in the workplace. And if you're being respectful and honest and ethical and positive in your interactions with other people, again, chances are politics are not going to find you. But it's important that you recognize that this can happen in any workplace and to any individual. Now, I know this example is from an early career standpoint, but to be honest, I would suggest this approach and these and these tips to anyone in most situations. Having those difficult conversations can be challenging, but once you nail down a method like the one I kind of gave you a quick example of, it gets a heck of a lot easier. Now, if you want to take this a little bit further in your own development, become a member of the HR Mentor Fan Club. You can use the link in the show notes. And when you do, you're going to get instant access to my audio lesson on Courageous Conversations. You'll learn my step-by-step -step process for having Courageous Conversations, and you'll be able to practice the steps, which is going to boost your confidence very quickly. Of course, there's lots of other great stuff in the fan club membership site, so be sure to check it out today. Again, just go to the notes wherever you're listening and you will find the link. Of course, if you haven't subscribed to the HR Mentor podcast yet, be sure to do that right now wherever you're listening. It helps other people find the show and, of course, helps them improve their HR career. 
And if you love this podcast, please don't be shy. Give it a five-star rating or a like wherever you're listening and leave a review or a comment. I always love hearing from you. As always, thank you so much for listening. Your time is greatly appreciated. Take care. Bye for now.